podcast where we, a real-life mother and daughter duo, rewatch Gilmore Girls and discuss the misadventures of fictional mother and daughter duo Lorelai and Rory Gilmore. I am Tessa Dare, a writer and the author of the paranormal mystery series The Karans and Chronicles and Beth's Daughter, and I am on my second coffee of the day. <laughs> and I am Beth, Tessa's mom and also a writer. Tessa and I have been talking about movies, TV, music, and politics pretty much since she could read. Even after she moved to Seattle, we kept up this dialogue, sometimes for hours at a time, until one day one of us joked we should do a podcast and move these talks into the digital world. The Gilmore Girls seemed like a good place to start because not only does their story resonate with us, I was a single mother of a teenage daughter attending a private school we could not afford, but the plot lines in the show often touch on topics that Tess and I like to discuss, such as images of women, character development, themes, etc. We should also mention that we are recording from our respective bedroom studios in separate cities. Tess is in Seattle and I am in St. Louis. I have had two cups of coffee today. Yeah. I am technically in my home office studio. Uh, the main oh, okay. Di- the main difference being that I'm in a basement. <laughs> You're in a basement, not a bedroom. Okay. Um, and we now have a Patreon. Uh, and I hope by the time this episode goes up, we will have some uh, additional uh, content on the Patreon. We both watched the first episode of the Netflix show Wednesday, and did a discussion about it, and I just need to edit it and get it up there. So if you would like to support us on Patreon, you can find us at patreon.com slash where you lead. Every week, we will start off our discussion with a synopsis of the episode along with the date it aired before heading on in. So let's begin. Today we are discussing Season 1, Episode 12, Double Date. It originally aired January 18th. 2001. Yeah, double date. So a brief overview of the episode is basically we are following two different uh, not very good double dates. On the one hand, we've got uh, Lorelai and Suki going on a double date with Jackson and Jackson's terrible cousin Rune. Uh, And Mm. on the other side, we have uh, Rory and Lane going on a double date with uh, Rory's boyfriend Dean and uh, a boy that Lane likes at the beginning of the episode. Um, all right, so the the very opening scene is a little bit of a musical montage. Did you want to talk about that a bit? Yeah, um, so it is a no-cut scene. I'm not sure what the technical term is for that. Uh, we can. It's when a scene is all in one shot yeah. with the camera following the action. Yeah. And we, we have Jean-Luc Godard one to shot. thank for that. It's called a one-shot. A one-shot scene. Yes. Okay. So we have we have Jean-Luc Godard to thank for that. He kind of pioneered the... Somebody else might have done it first, but he is most famous for uh, the scene in Breathless. Breathless yeah. Where it's, it's in the... Uh, I think it's a hotel lobby. And I'm not sure how long the scene is, but it's five or six minutes. And the camera moves... 
never never stopped where yeah. there's no edit in the scene and that's what, what we mean by one shot and I, there's I think there's another word for it but anyway um, so the camera follows the two characters through the lobby of the hotel and as they as they're interacting with people and it's a, it was groundbreaking for the time and I forget what year breathless was uh, filmed I want to say right around the year I was born yeah. so <laughs> I like 58 or something so but it was groundbreaking for the time mm -hmm. and Jean-Luc Godard was a, a groundbreaking filmmaker and he just actually just died a few months ago so I was thinking about all that as I'm watching this scene um, because they there's there's really no dialogue in it after Rory opens the door and says, Mom, mm -hmm. which is which is their clue to get ready to leave the house. Yeah. So then then there's this choreography that goes on where they both walk into the kitchen. And this is from a different angle in the kitchen than we usually see. And so they both walk into the kitchen and Lorelai is making coffee. It's apparently already started the coffee before they even walk in because it's brewing. And she's putting a cup under it, and she gets her, uh, Rory's cup. Yeah. And then the camera follows Rory across the kitchen. She goes and puts Pop-Tarts in the, the toaster. Mm -hmm. And then she she goes back to the left to the coffee maker. And then the camera follows her mother going back to the Pop-Tarts, getting those out. Anyway, so it's all, it's the camera follows one or the other of them throughout the entire scene, which is only about a minute long, maybe yeah. a minute and a half. Um, and then they walk out together. They pick up their stuff. They exit without coats, and this is January, I'm assuming. <laughs> but but they they do that all the while. XTC is singing "Earn Enough for Us." Mm. That's the song that's playing. Now I'm not sure what the relevance of that is, <laughs> except yeah. for they are kind of starting their workaday day. Yeah. And and there are kind of other things in this. And go ahead. Oh, it's, I was just gonna say we, we do know that they they like that band, right? Because XTC was. They like reference. that band. It's actually, for XTC, it's not a bad song. I'm not a big fan of theirs, but it's a pretty good song. Uh, but it's talking about how, you know, I need to earn enough f money for us so that we can be together. And so that kind of does relate to the, the double dates that are happening mm -hmm. in, in the show. And also, um, Lorelai is getting ready to start her work day. And we find out in this episode that she's uh, going to... Uh, college at night to get a business degree so that she can advance in her career. Yeah. So that all relates to that. She, so she can earn enough for them. But she, I love the interaction where Lorelai gets the Pop-Tarts out for Rory and then Rory fixes uh, Lorelai's tie. Yes. Uh, and then and then Lorelai pulls something out of Rory's hair. Yeah. So... <laughs> I think it's, it's it's like a leaf or something. I think it's a hair clip. I but I think it's a hair clip. Oh, okay. Either Rory made a very weird fashion choice that Lorelai was undoing, or she used that hair clip to like pull her hair out of the way and then forgot to take it out or something. Ah, okay. There you go. So then we and then when they were cut to the credits, so that is yeah. the open, and it's one of the best opens I think I've ever seen on this show. It is good, and yeah. it set it sets you up. It's it's a it's a filmmaking. Mm -hmm. I mean, they are really using filmmaking techniques here, cinematic techniques, and it's very well done. It sets you up for it being. I was so excited, and it was sets you up for this being a great episode, and. It was a terrible episode. Yeah. This is this is maybe my least favorite episode of this season it's, so far. Yeah. But yeah, no, I agree. Except I, for that open. The opening is very good. It's got a lot of movement, a lot of creative verve, as it were. Um, and, you know, it, it's another one of these scenes that shows us how in sync Rory and Lorelai are. Um, yes, yes. Also, exactly. 
I, it strikes me that Rory eats pop tarts because that feels like a very them thing to do. It's like kind of the quintessential yeah. breakfast junk food. I never liked pop tarts as a kid. I, I did not like them. I much preferred what was the other toaster strudels. I loved toaster strudels. I did not like mm-hmm. pop tarts. Um, and you would not let us well, eat toaster strudels very often because they are not a very no. healthy breakfast. <laughs> I, I always insist on protein for breakfast. Yeah. But um, so, but those were kind of add-ons once in a while, and we and we did have pop tarts. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like pop tarts. Yeah. And but they were mostly desserts. They weren't mm-hmm. breakfast because I think breakfast needs to be healthier than two pop tarts, yeah. especially if you're going to a prep school where they expect you to be yeah. awake and on and not just hyped up on coffee at mm-hmm. your 8 a.m. class. Coffee and so, sugar. Yeah. And sugar. <laughs> but you'll yeah. notice that Lorelai doesn't eat anything. Yeah, Lorelai just gets her cup, cut coffee and and they head out the door with both of them holding their, their coffee cups. And Yeah. So I'm wondering, is Rory still getting on a bus? Because they don't show that. Mm. Uh, are you going to take that cup of coffee on the bus? I don't think so. I mean, Because it was an open cup. Yeah, maybe maybe it's a little bit like what you and I used to do. And, and Lorelai is going to drop her off at the bus stop. And she'll just leave the coffee cup in the car. Yeah, know. yeah. That could be. Yeah. yeah. You sometimes did eat breakfast in the car. So, yeah. yeah. Totally. Yeah. And now I'm very, well, now that I work from home, I actually do have kind of a healthier system. But back when I had to go into an office, I was definitely of the, like, I will just drink the rest of yesterday's coffee and then get out of the house because I did not leave enough Mm -hmm. time to eat a breakfast. Yeah. Um, But yeah, so yeah, then we go to the credits. uh, And then the next scene, I believe, is Lane has come over to hang out with Rory and they have a quick discussion of Yoko Ono. And Lane is right. Lane is right about Yoko Ono. Uh, I know this was... Well, she makes two points about Yoko Ono, and she's only yeah. right about one of them. So we may have to disagree on this one. But um, she. But the first thing is that she dumps this bag of CDs out on the, mm-hmm. on the coffee yeah. table. And in my, my first thought was, did she buy all those, or did she check them out of the library? So that mm-hmm. was my first thought. But then later on, she they say that, that she got a good deal on them, so she def, definitely bought them. But she's got Blondie and Craftwork and Yoko Ono, and uh, Rory says, Really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yoko Ono, and she says Yoko Ono is 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 actually a, a what does she call it? Some she, kind she of said she's groundbreaking. She said she was a very misunderstood artist, which I think misunderstood is true. artist, mm-hmm. artist, maybe visual artist. She was not a misunderstood musical artist. Well, that, and I would even call her that. But I argue but that she, that is the misunderstanding. Most people think that she's primarily a musical artist, and she's not. She's primarily a visual yeah. artist. She was a visual artist, but she moved. She she left visual art behind. I yeah. think when when she joined Lennon's World mm-hmm. and um, became this terrible musical artist who just just basically screeched and howled. I, I will say, and, I, I and I'm not exaggerating about that at all. Yeah, no, she's I, a terrible I agree. musical artist. Well, okay, I, I I I would say my opinion on that. I have a caveat. I do think she's a very bad singer. Her voice mm. is really unpleasant, but. Elvis Costello does a cover of one of her songs, and it's great. Walking on Thin Ice, I love that. Okay, song. yes, I agree. <laughs> she makes she's a better writer than she is a yeah. A singer, I think that's she's for sure. I think she's a really good lyricist. And, and you know, I'm not super familiar with her catalog, so maybe she's written other songs that aren't nearly I, I as think, good. No, but I think that's her only song that she's written that's really good. Yeah, but <laughs> but, but that's a but great the other song. thing. But the other point that she well, it, isn't that the one that's written though in. 
Was that in response to Lennon's murder, or did it happen before? You know, I cannot I, remember. I'm not sure, because I'm mostly familiar with the Elvis Costello cover, so I, I honestly, I, sh- okay. I should learn more about it, but I don't, I don't know. But well, the thing I'm going to look it up really quick here. Okay, go ahead. The, but, the thing that Lane but, is but, unequivocally but, right about is that Yoko Ono yes, did is. not break up the Beatles. And the way she says it is really funny. She says, Sean agrees with me, somebody else agrees with me, Julian's still in denial, but we. Yes. But what can you do? Yeah. <laughs> And it is well, it is a really cute um in like back and forth between them regardless of what side you fall on. And I actually think it was it was kind of good that they positioned it that way because I feel like it allowed them to sort of make this argument for Yoko Ono without necessarily endorsing it, which I feel like probably now people would be a little bit more uh, sympathetic toward Yoko Ono, yes, but I think yes. definitely at the time she was still a pretty hated figure. It, it, it also helps that Paul McCartney yeah. has has come out and talked about it and said, no, he she absolutely did not break up the Beatles. Lennon didn't even break up the Beatles. Yeah. I did it. McCartney walked away from the Beatles. Yeah. So that's, that's a little known fact that he has only recently admitted to. Uh, he let Lennon take the, the fall for that. And I don't know that he's talked about if he, whether or not he feels bad about that. Uh, I think Lennon had said a couple times, too, that, that he walked away from the Beatles. So maybe that was a competitive thing between them. Yeah. Who, which one of us walked away from the Beatles? Yeah, who walked away um, but, first. But, he, but I just found Walking on Thin Ice, and it was recorded as part of Double Fantasy, I think is the name of the album. But I think it's a song that was released after Lennon was killed because mm. it was released in 1981. And the reason I have this, I think it's confusing in my memory, is that the picture... Uh, when she released this song, the picture I think on the album is his bloody glasses, mm, mm, and that, yeah. so that's my visual for that. So I've always thought that she was that it was recorded after he died, but mm. apparently it was recorded as part of the uh, Double Fantasy sessions, but released later. So there's there's was, your musical that, history mode. Is that what they were recording when he was killed? Yes. Okay. Yes. So maybe it is on the album then, because you're right. It was the album. Oh. I thought the album was released. Okay, yeah, the album Double Fantasy was released before he died. Okay, I think this is right. Don't well, quote me on this anybody, but I think it's right. Okay, but then they they were continuing to record, and so yeah. those those later recordings, and they were coming home from the studio. That yeah, was that's like yeah. The one thing I know is like they were actively recording when he was killed. They were like mm-hmm. coming home. Yes from a studio okay yeah for a second album because he was feeling he'd written a lot of songs yeah and he wanted to get the wanted to get a second album out um and unfortunately it was released posthumously so yeah which is a very very sad history and i uh, anyway so all of that came up because (laughs) she's got a yoko ono cd in her pile yes yeah and so what is happening but also before we go any further she Uh also has a claudine langer yes Okay, so if the reference to that, and you know, it has to be of a certain age to know this. Yes, she is the the singer who shot the skier. However, she is she was married to Andy Williams for decades, and I think their marriage broke. I mean, they they had they did Christmas specials every year, and she and the children were in the specials. Oh. So, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there's yeah. She was a kind of a figment in my childhood. I saw her all the time. She's beautiful gorgeous woman she spoke with a french accent uh probably not a great singer but <laughs> i was kind of enjoying the song in the background I, I don't think i've ever heard of this person before but i liked the song that was playing in the background okay i couldn't hear it very well but uh but she did 
break up with Andy Williams, and then she dated the skier, and I cannot remember the details, but she shot him. I think she killed him. Okay. Um, and I think she went to prison, but I'm okay. also, I should have looked up all that stuff, but I didn't. But so that's just who she was. She, she was, was married to Andy Williams. I did think it was really fun, because Lorelai comes out and asks them what they're listening to, and then she's like, is that the woman who shot the skier? And then she calls her a renaissance yes. woman. <laughs> I swore I wasn't going to laugh directly into the microphone anymore. <laughs> but um, <laughs> she is 80 years old. She wow. lives in in France now. Okay. Andy Williams, I think, died. I think he's been gone. He was older than her. So let's see if she killed the guy. Hold on. Arrest and trial. Um, she was arrested and charged with fatally shooting her boyfriend, Vladimir Spider Savage. Sebek in Aspen. This was my first uh, awareness of Aspen, that it was a, ah. a rich person skiing yeah. town. Yes. <laughs> Where you murder your boyfriend sometimes. <laughs> Where you murder, yeah. So I, she was convicted, convicted of negligent homicide, oh, sentenced to pay, to pay a small fine and spend 30 days in jail. And that's what she did. Huh. But I did not realize she released CDs. So yeah. interesting, interesting. Um, yeah. So yeah. So uh, what's happening in this scene is that uh, Lane and Rory are hanging out, listening to some of this music, and uh, Lorelai, meanwhile, is super stressed about an upcoming test at business school, and she keeps coming in to interrupt them. Which at first seems like she's, you know asking them reasonable things like turn the music down but eventually it becomes very clear that in fact she just does not want to study and she's using these teenage girls as a way to procrastinate from studying and i can't i can't decide if it's because she's bored or she's afraid of failing and maybe a combination i think it's both yeah i think it's both yeah yeah like, i mean it does sound pretty boring yeah. she's reading about walmart and how and What's the other the other company that she was reading about? Taco Bell, oh. Taco Bell and Walmart, and how they made changes in their business mm -hmm. business model. She's reading about business models. Yeah, I feel like it's very commendable for her to like be going through business school. But yeah, it's I can totally understand why she's kind of bored out of her mind. I feel like if I were in her shoes, I would probably be feeling exactly the same way. I do not miss well, having to take tests. And exactly, and the thing is, if she if she really thinks she needs a degree to move up in her career, why doesn't she get a degree in something that she enjoys? You know, and just take a couple of business classes. I, I mean, I think what she's saying is that this is in service of her and Suki eventually opening their own inn, which is their dream together. And I guess even though she currently manages the inn that they work at, she doesn't necessarily understand all of the other, like, business side of it. Uh, but I, I, mm. I do agree. I don't necessarily think that what she needs is a degree. I feel like maybe it's more just, like, a couple of, like, business accounting classes and maybe some marketing classes would probably be fine. Yeah. And it could be that she, when she does eventually take over the end by buying it mm -hmm. she, they will have to get a, a business loan mm -hmm. and maybe it, it's better to have this in her on her resume that she's got a degree i don't know so what stands out for me about this scene is that she's so worried about passing this business class and yet what she does in the ne in the very next scene the mm -hmm. very next scene shows her competence as a businessman as a manager yeah. Yeah. as someone who instinctively understands how to make things, how to how to problem solve, mm -hmm. how to manage people, how to make things work. She knows this like she knows the back of her hand. I mean, you know, she's not, she she doesn't really need the degree 
except that she probably needs a degree for yeah. you know whatever purpose but uh and she wants to have a degree she wants to graduate yeah she didn't get her high school diploma so in this next scene they are overbooked at yeah the end. yeah and uh michelle is telling her that they're overbooked and she's like, that can't be right. How could we be overworked? They, they argue back and forth a little bit. And she finally accepts uh, what he's saying and quickly fi- fixes it. Yeah. Almost almost immediately, as any good hotel manager would do, yeah. she puts him in a suite. They didn't pay for a suite, mm-hmm. but she puts him in a suite overnight because it's not their fault yeah. that the inn is overbooked. And then she says, we'll move them into a regular room the next day and we'll give them a free dinner, yeah. uh, you know, a dinner on the house to make up for the, the hassle. Yeah. And she solves it. She solves it. She doesn't have a degree. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. she figures this problem out. So Yeah. And then she walks back into the kitchen where Suki is working on what she calls a variation on a baked Alaska. Uh, and then Jackson comes in and Suki and Jackson are suddenly like very awkward around each other and like oddly formal and like weirdly nice when you know every time we've seen them before they're like sparring and at each other's throats so then Jackson leaves and uh Lorelai's question is okay so who walked in on who naked and you know when with this awkwardness that something has either happened or hasn't happened Mm -hmm. because the last time we saw them she asked she asked Jackson if he'd like to go out at some point Mm -hmm. and we haven't really picked it up since then so she's asked him out he said yes but then they haven't gone on the date and time is just like stretching on and on uh and then she and Lorelai have this back and forth which I like both do and do not identify with just because so like basically what's happening is Suki feels like she already put the work in of asking him out and it should be up to him to like push forward the next uh step and one of the things she says is I want to be the girl which, like, I do get that, especially as someone who is kind of an introvert. Like, it does kind of suck when you're in this sort of situation with someone where, like, there's indications that they're interested. You have reason to think that they're interested, but you still don't know for sure. Every step there feels like you're putting yourself out on a limb and making yourself really vulnerable. And she wants to be done with that part. She doesn't want to have to do it again, um, which I do understand. But I'm also just like, it doesn't matter which gender you are. Just if you like them, just go for it. And you do already have the yes. Come on, girl. Okay, so so to counter that, and I agree with you, there's two thoughts on this. Is that first one of the at one point she says it's his turn. Yeah. And I agree with that. She made the first she she made the effort to approach him and say, How would you be interested in me? Basically, mm-hmm. is what, what she asked. Why doesn't he pick it up then and say, yeah. yeah, how about this? Let's do this. It is his turn. Yeah. And I completely understand that. Now, the part where she says I want to be the girl, so here's my question. That's my generation speaking. Women my age find it hard to ask men out. I wait for them to, to do the asking. But, but your age doesn't necessarily. I mean, so, I, I, I don't think that that's entirely gone for my generation, but I do think it's different. That was going to be my question. Yeah, I do think it's different. I, I, I mean, especially among my introverted friends, we've definitely had joking conversations about like, well, we shouldn't have to ask anyone out because we're the girl. But it's not really like we are very aware that we're using that as an excuse because we're just, you know, introverted and afraid of rejection, like everyone is. But like men are, like yeah, men like are. Men are. Yeah, men exactly. is, and men will men will make that case that we've had to do this for forever. Mm-hmm. So what's your problem? Um, but <laughs> so, I yeah. will say, I technically asked my partner out. We were on a dating app and already talking, and we had been talking. We were on one of those apps that only allows you to talk for like X number of days before 
forcing you to like actually get each other's numbers or lose each other forever like your your conversation will disappear and we had like had a couple of back and forths but th- this was kind of my the way that I d- did these things on uh, apps is like you know if, if we had been talking for a certain amount of time and I felt like we clearly had enough to talk about I a couple of times asked people out and it's definitely which is easier that's easier to do on a dating app 100%. than face to face yeah absolutely yeah. So, absolutely yeah yeah, I don't I don't think I've ever actually asked anyone out face to face. But I mean, mm-hmm. I'm also just of a generation where that in general doesn't happen as often, like pretty much That's a very good point. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> like most of us do not really I I mean, you know, it's different for different people. I do know plenty of people who like all of their partners they've met through like mutual friends and all of their stuff has been like face to face, but like me and a number of my friends all of our dating experiences have been through apps and so like all of Mm -hmm. it all of the initial stages happen online which is definitely way it's way easier to type something out and send it out into the world than it is to like say the words face to face technology certainly makes it easier to do nowadays but also as we will find out as this episode goes along and this isn't true for jackson and and Suki, it may make it harder to know the person you're trying to go out with, which is something that happens in this. Knowing somebody, having a feeling that you want to date them, and not knowing somebody versus not knowing somebody and just seeing them across the quadrangle and thinking, oh, he's cute. Mm-hmm. I want to date him. Two very different things. Yeah. So, and we find that out. And, and I think that's yeah. one of the best things about this episode is we find that to be true. So... <laughs> It is a pretty awkward scene, though, with 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 Suki and Jackson. But the funniest part, the visual gag in this one, is that that spoon that Suki <laughs> yeah. has been using to stir and apply the meringue, mm-hmm. she now uses to play with her hair. Yeah. Also, she rubs it through her hair. Yeah. She also tries <laughs> to use it to write something down, which doesn't yes, work. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But be- but before she did that, she was yeah. rubbing her hair with it, and I'm like, is it still got? Does it still have meringue on it and are you going to use that again before you wash it <laughs> well you know maybe i think egg whites are supposed to be good for the hair so maybe she's just putting on a <laughs> hair mask there you go she but she's oh, so God. distracted she's so distracted by this situation that she's not paying attention to what she's doing with the spoon so yeah um and so the, the next two scenes i don't think we have to dwell on very much but basically in the next scene rory is reading sylvia plath's journals Yes, and I I wrote down in my note, cut to Rory reading Sylvia Plath, because of course. Of course. (laughs) Of course she's reading Sylvia Plath. Uh, and then she, she, honestly, I didn't like this scene very much because it's mostly just her and Dean making out. Um, but she, oh, it's terrible! Yeah, it's terrible. But she does manage to ask him to ask out his friend Todd. Todd is the mm-hmm. friend's name on behalf of Lane, and they agree to go on a double date. Let's cut to Michelle because that's the best thing. Okay, yeah. So then, <laughs> then we get back to Suki and Lorelai, and Suki basically strong arms Lorelai into a double date which delights michelle to no end and what is the line she says i i think what she offers her but she then, says you um, will you will not regret this and lorelei says pick another yeah. phrase and she says you will not have to pay yes that's it and and then michelle we look over at michelle he is laughing mm-hmm. now i think you can count on one hand the times in this whole series that michelle smiles yeah much less laughs yeah and so i really think we need to ch- name this episode the one where michelle laughs all right because he i I took a picture of it because i I was like he was laughing so hard and that is just 
I'm almost wondering what was the joke the actors were telling each other before the act <laughs> before Michelle started laughing because that's how bad it was. Yeah, it but almost it feels, chagrin. Yeah, it almost feels like Yannick Truesdale is like coming through the character a little bit because my understanding is that th- those three actors are like very friendly with each other and that the actor who mm-hmm. plays Michelle is like much nicer in real life than Michelle. Oh, I'm sure he is. Yeah, he's just a great actor. But yeah, but her, but he laughs at Lorelai's chagrin over going on the double date. That is just wonderful. I yep. mean. He, he knows because he's probably been there oh yeah absolutely <laughs> and because like you you also just kind of know uh, first of all like blind dates are in general sort of considered you're setting yourself up for a disaster and i mm-hmm. suspect he's probably thinking like i mean who could jackson possibly be bringing to this double date it's not going to be anyone good and he's right i mean just the, the guy's name alone Rune. R-U-N-E. Yeah. Rune. Rune. Really? I do want to talk about that actor in a second, but I guess before we get to that, the next scene is everybody getting ready. Mm -hmm. And, I, you know, like, I do think this scene is a little cute, but it's also just very kind of stereotypical, and I feel like it's not actually a great scene. It's a pretty good scene for Suki because I feel like her, her nerves make sense for her character, but I feel like, I don't know, it almost feels like Lane and Rory became different girls in this scene. And I don't know exactly how I feel about it. Also, (laughs) it's kind of funny to me that Lorelai claims she did such a great job on Suki's makeup. And as far as I can tell, they're all just wearing lip gloss and mascara. Like, that's fine. That's cute. But it's not particularly impressive makeup. <laughs> but the, the the whole scene feels like a filler. Yeah. Like, they're just filling time here. Now, the two girls, though, when they're getting dressed, that actually, they, they're doing something there, I want to say setting the scene, that they don't usually do in this show, which mm-hmm. is to portray uh, Rory as a feminine mm-hmm. teenage girl. Yeah, and and she is, and you don't see it very often because it's the the emphasis is on her her intellect, yeah, uh, and her you know her her cuteness. She's mm-hmm. very cute, so it's not and her personality. She's got yeah. a great personality, but not on her being a typical teenage girl who wants to look good for her date. Yeah, and Lane and Lane wants to too. This is Lane's you know Lane's taking a big risk here, as we will find out later. Mm-hmm. Um, she's lying to her mom. She's going out on a date which she knows she's not supposed to. When there's a non-Korean involved who has no medical aspirations, that's yeah. that's the way she describes how dangerous, uh, how what much of a risk this is for her to take to go out with somebody. Yeah, and so to see her prep for that to do her hair it's kind of nice i mean i do i do like that um this episode has rory actually being a good friend to lane but she doesn't do it first she doesn't yeah. want to do it she, yeah she, she pushes she is, back and pushes back she yes. is reluctant but then she does finally do it and i i think the impl- i think they're saying that lane is wearing rory's clothes that like the outfit that she wears is oh mostly yeah rory's. well but of course she is, because yeah. Lane's mother is not going to buy her the kind of clothes mm-hmm. that she could wear on a date. Not that you should really... It's not It's not like they're going to the prom. Well, also, How different does it like, have to be? What they're wearing is just like very normal clothes. It's not Normal clothes, yeah. yeah. Like they're just wearing like jeans but, and sweaters. But, but it could be that... Rory's clothes are a little bit not dressier, but stylish. Yeah, I'm thinking a little bit more yeah, stylish. I'm guessing they're more, yeah, they're more stylish, more like you know, teenagery and less like yeah, middle aged Korean mom e. Right, which is what what she, Lane a lot, a lot of times looks like. I mean, she yeah. she comes over to over to Rory's house sometimes and changes and her takes clothes. Out, yeah, it takes so, out layers. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we get back to Lorelai and Suki and like. <laughs> 
Suki's hairstyle looks like a full-on prom hairstyle in in this yeah it's terrible it's not great it's 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 not great for her face it it looks it's honestly so big that I suspect she's wearing like a partial wig because it's so much hair that I suspect they put like a wig over her um yeah like ponytail or something also, her mm-hmm. outfit is not my favorite. Um, I mean, like... I actually think it looks pretty good. Um, I, I, she, I especially like once she gets the shawl. When she gets the shawl, she, it's better. And I do like the skirt. But I don't love the, like, coral sweater over a pink top. I don't know. It, not. I, it just feels like there's not enough contrast there. And it just sort of starts to look like an explosion of pink to me. Which, well, you, but you that's know. Suki. I, I Suki guess, yeah. is very colorful. And, but the, the interesting thing is when, what's the guy's name? Jackson gets there. He actually, you know, he goes, starts at the top of her and looks, takes, takes her all the way down. And yeah. I, I forget what it is he says about her hair, but then he says she looks, he likes her outfit. Mm-hmm. He thinks she looks good. But at that point, Lorelai has already taken the, the deep blue, uh, royal blue shawl yeah. and put it around um Suki's shoulders to kind of cut the pink a little bit. Yeah. And and it looks a lot better. So she, but but the hair is still ridiculous. Yeah, the hair is ridiculous. Let's see. Lane and Rory take off and then Jackson shows okay. up with his cousin but, Rune. But yeah. before they take off, the best line in, in the whole whole episode is where they tell her they're going to see a movie and Lorelai says, Okay, nothing dirty, violent, or French, please. I think it's the best line of the show, but it's also foreshadowing mm. because she is aware that they're going to a movie and she's giving them rules. Yeah. And, but she does not have all the information. Yeah, she doesn't she, yeah. know who, who they're going to the movie with. Um, so yeah, so then Rune shows up and this is where I want to talk about the actor a little bit. The actor is Max Perlick, who had a minor role on Buffy. And that's the main thing that I want to say. Is that why he looks familiar? What was the yeah. role? Um, so in the season finale of season two of Buffy, a random demon on the side of good comes down to give her a special sword and some advice. So it's kind of a, a one-off hmm. role. He also does a little bit of voiceover in that episode um but yeah it's it's a, it's a very important episode of Buffy his role is kind of small in it but um I always remember him because he does the little voiceover of the episode well and I looked him up because his face looked familiar he looked very distinctive but there was something about it that looked familiar mm-hmm. I didn't see that because they probably have to go down 20 years to find it and um but he's not done a lot of work in the, in recent years he's done a lot of voiceover work mm. So, yeah, he does have a distinctive voice. Well, and I just like random bit of extra trivia. He was also a small part in the 90s version of uh, House on Haunted Hill, which also featured mm. James Marsters in a an even smaller role. Uh, James Marsters wow. is another Buffy actor. So randomly, these two Buffy actors were in this, frankly, quite terrible uh, remake of an old Vincent Price movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah. <laughs> All right, but yeah, but so that, what, that's that's my spiel on Max Perlick. Well, and that's the actor, but the character is so rude. The character you almost sucks. feel like they 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 came up with R U N E for his name when they really wanted to call him R U D E. Yeah, and that was a takeoff on it. Um, but also, ruin is an old thing, right? Ruins are like an old. I, I, yeah. I think it's a real thing. I, I, I like a rune. Yeah, is is an old thing, and it means like yeah, a, like a, a symbol or something. Like yeah, yeah. yeah. 
So he he is pissed off yeah. that Lorelai is so tall. Is tall because yeah. he she, I guess he's short, but he doesn't look that much shorter than Jackson. Yeah. Although it doesn't matter how tall Jackson is because Suki's really short. Yeah. So, but but the thing for me is that some men really obsess over how tall they are and whether or not they want to, they will, are willing to be seen with a woman who is taller than them. Yeah. And well, she is tall. And I feel like part of what I don't like about this part of the plot is that I feel like we're supposed to find him funny because I feel like the joke, but I feel like the joke is, ha ha ha, who could ever find beautiful Lauren Graham to be ugly? Like, I feel like the joke is Lauren Graham is so beautiful that it's shocking that a man could find her unattractive. But my feeling is just like, he's so mean that like, it's just, it's just not funny to me. Like, first of it's all... Not, I was, that's what I was saying. No, yeah. it's not funny. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's, it's not funny. Like, the things that he's saying are not inherently funny, and I don't find that disconnect to be hilarious. Like, as far as I'm concerned, no. like, your rudeness is not affected by the attractiveness of the person you're being rude to. Like, I would find mm-hmm. this just as rude if he was you know acting this way to someone that we don't find as conventionally attractive as Lorelai I mean imagine if he showed up and was like talking about how fat Suki is we would not feel that that was okay we would not find that funny and so I I don't I don't think it's funny just because Lauren Graham is hot And and Rune is not particularly attractive himself either. Mm-hmm. Um, so to, for him to be talking about, and, and let's also set the scene here, because yeah. they are only five feet away from the front door. They walk yeah. away from the front door as if to say, oh, they're not going to hear us talking, but he's so loud mm-hmm. that Lorelai and Suki can both hear him talking. And mm-hmm. not only does he keep going on and on about how tall she is, then he says she has big ears. Yeah. How can you even see her ears? Her hair is down, and the hair covers her ears. Mm-hmm. So how can you even see that? But he's a he's adult. He's rude. He's uh, he, and he's not very attractive, and yet he has the nerve to say that this woman who is smart and funny and beautiful is yeah. not good enough for him. And it's not just that he's saying that she's not attractive. He's saying she's not appealing yeah. to him. And and she's standing there listening. But but here's the other part of that is that. Doesn't she? She's got to know better. I mean, if it were me and I looked like her and I was standing there listening to this, I'd say, "I'm going with you, Suki." But this person is an idiot, and yet she's looking a little hurt. I mean, for a couple I, of seconds. like I think it. Ma- I think that makes sense, though. Like, it sh- I think she knows she's attractive, but I think it's very hard. No matter how attractive you actually are, it's very hard to listen to someone say this kind of stuff about you and not have it affect you at all. Also, like, we we do know that she is tall. Like, we have mentioned that she's tall before. So, you know, even even if she normally doesn't feel self-conscious about that, having someone, you know, say say something that's at least partially true, even if their opinion on it is weird, like, that can still affect you. And I I think this is is my point, is, like, it kind of doesn't matter how confident or attractive the person who is the object of the rudeness is like, that's still rude and it's still going to hurt their feelings. And that's why it's not funny to me. It's not funny, but it did, it did remind me that Lorelai is actually not the most confident person in the room. Yeah, true. She comes across that way because yeah. she's witty and she has witty comebacks and she's pretty uh, and she's competent. Yeah. And you know, and she, and she's good with people. Yeah. And so she, she comes across as being 
self-confident, self-assured. But in this scene, you don't really see that. I mean, she's really hearing this yeah. and, and taking it in. And it's like it's reinforcing for her that she's not good enough. Because mm-hmm. she always worries that she's not good enough. Because her mom makes her feel yeah. like she's not good enough. Well, and also in the continuity of episodes, this is like right after Max broke up with her, basically. Yes, yes, uh, exactly. And, and he didn't break up with her because he didn't like her. But, you know, that's still going to be a bit of a knock to your feelings Mm -hmm. about yourself and I I also do think that Lorelai is a good example of like fake it till you make it you know like she is not necessarily as confident as she usually comes across because I think she has just learned that coming across as super confident is a good way to get what you want yeah Uh, but it's a hard it's a difficult scene and and she is a good friend because she goes through with it she goes with Suki she knows how nervous Suki is she she doesn't even hesitate to go on their date and then hilariously, when they go to the French restaurant, I kind of feel like everyone except Lorelai is terrible to the waiter. <laughs> it's like, oh my god, R- Rune is still being super rude. Uh, and then Suki asks the waiter if the mussels are fresh, even though it already says that on the menu. So that's annoying. And then Jackson asks them where they get their carrots in this like kind of testy, like condescending way. Well, okay. But that makes the point that these two are perfect for each other. I mean, yeah. Because... Um, but they're also nervous. At least I'm not sure Jackson is, but but Suki is nervous, and that's mm-hmm. why she keeps talking about whether. And she see, I know it says that they're fresh, but they're, maybe they're fresh in the sense that they were frozen fresh, but next, yeah. but then now they've been thawed. Yeah. And and the thing is, she's talking. I don't. You don't realize this until later when when Lorelai draws it to her attention. But she's actually saying all this to Lorelai, mm-hmm. not to not to Jackson. She yep. is talking to Lorelai. Yep. And this is not her date with Lorelai. It's her date with Jackson. Yep. Why isn't she talking to him? And why is she going on and on? Well, she's, she's nervous. Yeah. And Rune, Rune is rude. Yeah. He's rude to the waiter. He's rude to everybody. And then Lorelai finishes the scene with, I'll have a martini and keep them coming, Keep them coming, yeah. Which I feel like she's the only one who's behaving appropriately to the waiter. <laughs> yes, she is. She's very nice to the waiter. Yeah. But she also, she works in the hospitality industry. Yeah. So she, she grasps it. But so does Suki, although Suki is behind yeah, the Su- scenes yeah. most of the time. Suki does not interact directly with customers. And also Suki and Jackson have both previously been shown to be just a little socially unaware. Oh, they're so inept. Yeah. You know, it, that's why they're so perfect for each other. Yeah. One of the um, reasons. Yeah. So, yeah, so I don't, I don't know how much, I guess... We can just go ahead and... So the, the rest of the episode kind of flips back and forth between the two it different does, double yeah. dates. Uh, so we, we go Con- back they, over... Because they're contrasting. Yeah. The contrasting between the two dates and how they're going is kind of... And they're both one going... One of the best things about the episode. Yeah. But they're both going not great. Uh, so yeah, back over to Rory and Lane. Uh, Rory keeps trying... So they're, they're all standing in line for... The theater, which we, we uh, finally get to see the theater again. Um, and we are firmly establishing that the theater in town is this weird living room theater. Um, yeah. And there's uh, Lane and Dean are standing a bit ahead of, uh, sorry, Rory and Dean are which standing a bit ahead of Lane and the other boy. Makes no sense. Why are there like three, three couples ahead of them? Yeah, I assume it was intentional to like give them some time to chat just okay. the two of them. Okay, right. Um, but yeah, it is a little weird. Um, also, I hate this scene. I think this is a bad scene for Lane. I hate her little spiel. Well, I, I have mixed feelings about it. Cause, so Lane, we cut to Lane and the boy. And it does do a very good job of showing that this boy is like not on Lane's level. Um, mm-hmm. And like, 
I, much like Lane, I am a big fan of Beck, as we have discussed on the podcast before. But mm-hmm. I kind of hate her little rant. Like, the whole her whole little rant is like, other girls are stupid and I'm so smart. Which, like, I don't like that. Like, you don't know what was going on inside those girls' heads. And I don't love that you're introducing yourself to this boy by trying to show how much smarter than other girls you are at these anonymous girls' expense. I just, I feel like this very much fits into the show's occasional trend of like these are the special girls and all other girls are mm-hmm. stupid and I, I don't i don't love it despite the fact that like I, I do know exactly what lane is talking about beck is a very um kind of tongue-in-cheek kind of uh musician and a lot of the stuff that he does is sarcastic for lack of a better term yeah um but you know but i also feel like she's a little bit missing something there which is that you know sometimes when a musical artist because basically what happens at this I, I think show that she's talking about is like beck does a somewhat sarcastic impression of a big rock star and all of the other girls were going wild for it like he's just a big rock star and not getting the like subversion sarcasm of it mm-hmm. but the thing is when you do something like that as a performer it is meant to work on both levels. Like you, you yeah. are like, he is a rock star. That is what Beck is. So even if there's kind of a level of tongue and cheekness to the performance, it's both levels. It's both a subversion and kind of a straight up copy of this. Like, you know, Beck is kind of a like skinny nerdy boy, which I guess I've realized now Beck is like definitely getting up there in age at this point. So weird to refer to him as a boy. Oh yeah. But... <laughs> He's <got> a boy. <laughs> But he is also a pretty well-known rock star. So it's not just pure sarcasm, and she's a little bit wrong. But worse than that, I just don't think that there was any reason to throw other girls under the bus Under the in bus, this yeah. Well, okay, so a couple points about that. I didn't get all that from that, but you are much closer to their age than I am. So yeah. what I got from it is that she was nervous just like Suki was nervous. Yeah, and I so agree. She was talk. she's talking... Nonstop. She yeah. never shuts up. And she starts with Beck. And she, instead of just talking about, um, you're right. She takes that 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 story too long. Yeah. And and and. But I think it's because he's not he's not he's not engaging. interacting with yeah. her. He's not engaging. He's not responding to what she's saying. So she keeps saying it to make the point. Mm-hmm. And if he just said, yeah, that's that's really weird, or, or just something, nothing. Yeah. He never says anything. So she goes on to another, the next singer and the next act, and then yeah. and then it quickly became becomes obvious. And actually, he's he's wearing a Fugazi yeah. T-shirt. I'd never heard of them, but uh, but he doesn't know who it is. Yeah. He's oh, it's just a shirt. My t- my, it's my sister's T-shirt. I yeah. don't know who these people are. Yeah. He doesn't know anything about music, mm-hmm. or doesn't want to talk about. It. Doesn't know. Doesn't read. Mm-hmm. Doesn't doesn't. What was the other thing she asked him about? Movies. Doesn't movies. go to movies. Yeah. Doesn't like movies. Doesn't like to read. Doesn't like music. I mean, those are the three big ones, right? Yeah. In our book. So you don't like any of this stuff. Mm-hmm. What is Lane doing there with you? Yeah. And and I, although I should be saying that to Lane because she deserves so much better than this. Yeah. So whereas I understand what you're saying with the but the attack of other girls were the smart girls. But in this show, they are the smart girls. How many girls did you know while you went to your private prep school? Let's, let's talk about me. I was going to say, the, the all girl- the girls that I knew were very smart. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, most of the girls I went to school with would have been, would not have been like Lane. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of people I've known in, in, as an adult. You know, I have, I have had 
several good friendships with people who were into these things like I was. But I know so many people, many of them women, many mm-hmm. of them men too, who are not into anything. Yeah. And that's what this guy is. He is not into anything except what he wants to, what was, he's into tools. He's into tools. And he wants to major in gym. In gym. He call it, okay. doesn't even but, say PE. Well, this is my <laughs> other, this, this is my other note about this thing is like, they're talking about it like high school has majors. Like she, she it is doesn't weird. Ask, she doesn't ask him what do you want to major in in college. She asks him what are you majoring in, and mm-hmm. he says gym, which like and and then they, the way that they continue to talk about it is like it's normal to both have majors in high school and also for gym to be a major. Both of these it's things weird. are wild. <laughs> what what I will say about this scene is that I do find this boy to be very reminiscent of a lot of boys that I knew uh particularly in public school who just you know you try to talk to them and they're nice enough but it just seems like they have nothing going on uh in their heads and you know to be fair like teenagers sometimes it takes a long time to figure out who you are it's not just teenagers yeah I in this in in the school district where we lived when I was a single mom, I was very aware of, you know, which men were dads and mm-hmm. married and all that. And to a T, they were in, only into two things. Mm-hmm. And it didn't really matter what their career choice was, whether they were married. The two things they were interested in were money and sports. Yuck. And that's what they could talk about. So, and because yeah. I, I would hear, I would overhear conversations. And I particularly listened to single men because I thought, mm-hmm. you know, is this somebody I'd be interested in? No. <laughs> They would they they would talk about football. Yep. And then and then it would be baseball because yep. those were the two big and or hockey. Those are the three big ones in St. Louis at that time, and uh, the stock markets. Yeah. That was it. And a lot of these men were stockbrokers. This is affluent. Uh, I shouldn't say they were all stockbrokers, but they were involved in the stock market in some capacity, business, whatever, because they were. This was an affluent school district. Mm-hmm. So I was I was amazed, astounded, and appalled mm-hmm. that they could not hold a conversation about anything other than those two what felt to me like sports and, and money it was yeah. basically it so they and those were the men who were raising these yeah. teenagers that had the boys that had no now the girls on the other hand a lot of times did could talk about things but and and of course the women i knew in the school district were all much more interesting than their than their husbands i, yeah. I hate to say that but it was it's true and and uh, yeah I, I mean i feel fortunate that that is not my current experience with other oh people. yeah i have plenty of male female and those that lies betwixt uh friends and they all have way more interest than that and fortunately for me none of them are particularly into sports which is great because if i never hear about sports again for the rest of my life i'll be happy <laughs> you, you say that until you have children and then you'll be going to soccer games <laughs> well, that, that's different i'm talking about professional yeah, it is. sports it is. like back when i was in high school i loved rooting for the girls basketball team it's different when you know mm-hmm. someone who's playing because then you have yeah. you have an emotional stake in the game. But I'm talking yeah. like, you know, professional sports where it's all like millionaires and I don't care about any of them. <laughs> so how how is the Seattle football team doing this year? <laughs> we have a football team? <laughs> okay then. So the end of this scene, the end of this scene is Rory and Dean. We close in on them again and mm-hmm. Rory's like this. What do you see in this guy? Yeah. How? Uh, and he goes. He's got good tools. Yeah. He reveals that they <laughs> hang got... out when they're working on their bikes, 
and he's the guy yeah. with the good tools which he's was also the guy with the good tools that was so relatable to me too i was like i totally relate to the experience of having like a very situation dependent friend where it's like mm-hmm. we hang out in this situation and no other situation yeah <laughs> but yeah um so then we get back to suki lorelei yeah suki lorelei jackson rune and lorelei and suki go off quote-unquote to powder their noses which again rune says something like you better use a lot but lorelei is basically pulling suki off to the side to be like hey you're only talking to me and you should be talking to jackson and suki admits that she's really anxious and that like dressing nice and going to a nice restaurant is making it worse so lorelei suggests that they ditch the restaurant and go to luke's instead and Um, this is actually we, we talked about this a little bit in the last episode i think where we talked about first dates and how meeting at a coffee shop in a very casual and informal way Mm -hmm. is a great way to have a first date because it 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 makes you less nervous you Mm -hmm. don't have to dress up for it you know you don't have to worry about you know what you're going to eat and if it's going to be all over you i was just watching the abbott elementary tv show though yeah it's it's, it's new yeah it is brilliant and and you really should watch it It, it's great i want to go back and watch the first season but i can't kinta quinta brunson quinta brunson yeah yeah she she she's the creator and the writer head writer she's also the ad one of the main actors and she is just wonderful to watch i used to watch her on buzzfeed (laughs) well she she goes on a first date and she's decided ahead of time she does what i always do not on first dates but just when i'm going out to dinner i check the menu on online to see what kind of food Mm -hmm. there is so she did that i think everybody does that now so she she did that and she decides she's going to get the ribs barbecue ribs and so um she's talking to one of the other characters whose name i can't remember the actor's name i can't remember he's kind of a semi-love interest for her Mm. but anyway she's she's the date she's going on out on is with one of his friends uh-huh. so so he tells her maybe maybe don't eat the don't get the barbecue because i've seen you eat barbecue so <laughs> so at the very end of the episode they cut to the furthest day and she said she she agrees with him yeah yeah you're right i shouldn't get the barbecue so they show them <laughs> on this date and she's eating the barbecue and it is all <laughs> all over her face Oh, I shouldn't say over face. It's all around her mouth. She's thoroughly enjoying this barbecue, but it is all over her mouth. And it's like, she looks adorable because she is adorable. But you can see what he's like. Yeah, yeah. She did. And, and, and the date, oh, what is his name? I can't remember. But he uh, he at one point says, so do you, do you need a napkin? And she said, oh, no, no, I'm fine. <laughs> oh, no. So this is a classic how you don't want to look on a first date, mm-hmm. although he seems to not. It doesn't bother him because he's a nice guy. Yeah. But and she's adorable. How yeah. you know you can't be bothered by anything she does. But um yeah. So but that, that does. That's that what does, this scene made me think of. Yeah, and that does um make a, a point, which is that maybe coffee dates are easier to go on because there's no food eating at all, and that yeah can be, yeah if you are worried about you know eating food in front of people, which is a thing that some people mm-hmm. have an issue with. Oh, yeah. when I was a teenager. I my teenage boyfriend it was always really hard for me to eat in front of him I was very self-conscious teenagers are self-conscious yeah but but we are talking about adults here yeah so presumably well now Suki's pretty feels pretty self-conscious I think yeah. that's the whole point in, the, in this in this scene so I think we have to assume that she hasn't been on a lot of dates certainly yeah. not a lot of first dates and she's very self-conscious she's worried about how her hair looks which is terrible her yeah. hair is terrible we've already established <laughs> that and so they they agree to take her hair down and and there's something else and then there's, and then they're going to go eat at 
looked. But there's a third thing. The third thing is that she feels uncomfortable in the dress, and Lorelai tells her that she's wrong about the dress, and she looks great. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Take your hair down. You look great in the dress. We'll go to Luke's. Yeah. Yeah. So then they do go to Luke's, and at this point, Rune finally, like, jumps off the deep end and basically, like, stands up and, like, demands that Jackson leave with him. And I will say, I feel like kind of an open question in this episode is, like, what exactly is going on in Jackson's head? I think maybe the implication is not so much that Jackson is nervous, but just that he maybe isn't very assertive and maybe, like, just does what other people tell him to do. Because, like, he does reveal, I think he actually reveals earlier than this, that Rune showed up out of nowhere and is crashing on his couch without asking. And I I don't remember what the other thing is, but he just, like, he just showed up, like, late at night and is just, like, demanding to stay with him and demanding all of his time and Jackson is just kind yeah. of putting up with this. You didn't tell me you were coming. Uh-huh. You, yeah. you, you didn't you told me what we were gonna do when you got here. Mm-hmm. And it was like I didn't have any choice in the matter. So I, I think you're right he's he's unsure how to act here. Yeah. He's waiting for a cue from Suki. Yeah. Who gives it to him, which bless her heart, she finally speaks up for herself. Yes. She finally speaks up for herself and makes it very clear that she like wants to be on this date and wants Jackson to stay. Which like Don't I do leave. think is, I think I do think is a good move for her but that does mean that she has three times now had to reassure him that she's interested because she's the one who asked him out she's the one who verified when they were going out and now she's the one who tells him to stay which like i don't know like i'm not saying that that's a bad thing i'm just like pointing it out basically like this is this is essentially the third time that she's had to be like no i really do want to be on this date and now it does finally seem to click for him and maybe it's just that like he needed to be looking her in the face as she said it or something or maybe it really is just that like Jackson does not like to make decisions for himself. He needs a leader to follow. <laughs> well, that may be it, but also remember in the French restaurant she was mostly talking to Lorelai. That's true. That's so true. He, yeah. He could have been feeling a little left out and yeah. maybe even a little rejected. Yeah. So he's unsure when he starts to get up from the table and Luke's he's very hesitant. He's yeah. moving slowly. When she says, No, don't don't go. Yeah. He gets this big smile on his face yeah. like, yeah, damn it, I'm going to stay. Yeah. <laughs> and, and tells his cousin to, to, to F off. So, yeah. yeah. But it is it is very, like, cathartic to finally see him tell Rune off. Because it just seems like mm-hmm. Rune is maybe the worst person in this whole universe. Oh, yeah, he's terrible. And, you know, you were talking about the actor earlier, and I wrote in my notes. I looked him up. He was actually in Ferris Bueller's Day Off as well. Oh. Which I have never seen and have had, yeah. never had any interest in watching. Even Same. though... It was a pretty big movie when it came out. Yeah. Also, when we get back to Todd, uh, he's also not very attractive. You know, I and, and he's a like, very teenage boy look about him. Yeah. <laughs> I, maybe I don't remember what it was like to be a teenage girl, but but Lane's fixation on him until she starts talking to him and realizing he has absolutely nothing to say in life. Yeah. Um, I I don't get it. My conjecture so. would be that she is just attracted to exactly what her mother does not want her to be attracted to. Mm. My feeling is that it's not so much about him at all so much as just like she wants to date a white boy who doesn't want to be a doctor. Yeah, that's like, it. She doesn't want a Korean boyfriend. Yeah, and unfortunately she in this episode is forced to look in the face of a very bland white boy with no thoughts head empty and she doesn't yeah. like what she sees. Uh, yeah. And, and you know, at least she figures that out 
pretty quickly. Um, so yeah, so Rune finally leaves, thank God, and Lorelai goes over to hang out with Luke, and she makes a very, like, Jewish joke, because uh, she, she comes over to sit with him, and he says something like he doesn't want her to eat alone, and she's like, well, it kind of seems like you don't really have any customers left unless you're expecting Elijah to stop by, which I believe that is a reference to, I think it's Passover. At Passover meal, you're supposed to leave, uh, I could be wrong about this, but you're supposed to leave I have no idea. a seat empty for Elijah. Oh, I, I think. okay. Yeah, well, and that, I know that Amy very Sherman, good. <laughs> Amy Sherman Palladino is Jewish, and I know that she has said a couple of times that like she didn't canonically make the Gilmore's Jewish, but that she sees them as like very Jewish leaning Gentiles because she herself is Jewish. And I think she based them at least a little bit off of her own familial experiences. That's a very brave move to make to use yeah. a, a reference that you would really have to know Judaism very well to yeah <laughs> to, to get that get the reference. So that's pretty wild. How did you get that? How did you know that? I think from a different TV show, it might have been The O.C., <laughs> where someone uh, had to pull together like a, an of- official, I think it's Passover, meal, and had to learn that you're supposed to leave a, a seat open for Elijah. So I, I think my hmm. my entire knowledge of this is coming from like television representations of it. I don't even know who Elijah is, so... <laughs> maybe a prophet i i don't know a figure from Mm. the torah i'm not sure so then there's this wonderful scene with luke towards the end of the scene in the diner yeah where she goes over and says something like three cups of coffee and three menus or something and then and then she cuts oh no she has four menus and three cups of coffee and then rune leaves and it's just three cups of coffee and three menus but then she just orders hamburgers yeah she just yeah she orders cheeseburgers for everyone but he hands her a cup of coffee and she picks it up she adds a little cream to it which we don't always see her do yeah and and she says wow that's an unusually good cup of coffee and he said he added nutmeg to it yes uh and she says that's very richard simmons of you (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) but he also says that it's great that she's tall but then when she says the the simmons thing he says chicks dig a man with a feminine side yes which is true it is true but he also says that she's tall and it's okay because does he understand how good that is that you can reach stuff for him yeah (laughs) and she's like yes that's what i bring to a relationship (laughs) that's what i bring to a relationship oh gee then they they play they play a little bit of poker and here's my question about this she's playing it wrong I was going to say. Okay, so she, he says, you know, let's play a little uh, five-card draw is what he yeah. says. And that's just standard poker, right? Mm-hmm. So she says, he, he, she looks at her cards, and she lays four of them down yeah. and says, I want four cards. Okay, now I think you can only do that if you have an ace and you yep, show it. exactly. And she doesn't do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have to have an ace, and you have to prove that you have the ace. And you have to prove that you have an ace, and she doesn't do that. But then she does it a second time. Mm-hmm. He says, you, you can't get four, card, four yeah. new cards a second time. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so yeah. that was that was a pretty funny gag, and it's a very sweet scene. And they're, they're clearly enjoying being by themselves, talking to each other. They clearly like each other a lot. He comes very close to asking her out, and they get yeah. cut off. Yep. But but they also start talking about first dates, you know. And she says she goes off on this dreamy thing about how uh, the beginning of the relationship glow isn't that nice. I always mm-hmm. found first date. I I always found first dates terrifying. So <laughs> I I do not know where this is coming from. I mean, yeah, I think I, they're awkward. Yeah, my feeling is that what she's describing sounds to me more like third, fourth, fifth. Third, date. yes, third, <laughs> yeah. fourth date, yes absolutely yeah like when you know that you like each other and 
given that this is going somewhere as opposed to, yeah, I feel like first dates are much more awkward, unsure. Maybe it's a little bit exciting if it if it's going well, but I if feel If it's like... going well, but even then you're going to go home and, and go over in your head everything you said yeah. and how you said it and what, you know, was it the wrong thing to say? And Yeah. But she, but they're talking intimately. Mm-hmm. And I mean, this is an intimate conversation, really. And I love it that she's talking about first dates with the man standing right in front of her mm-hmm. who she could be having a first date with and she just yep. thought about it for a second but of yeah. course the show wasn't ready yet we're not mm-hmm. there yet so yeah anyways. i mean yeah you know it's it's a long-term storyline so we're gonna drag it out as far as possible but this is yet another scene where it's very clear that these two have a distinctly romantic rapport like they have a connection yeah they they yeah they're they have a strong connection they think a lot alike mm-hmm. they're both kind of business owners you know yeah. they run small businesses they have a, a similar kind of sense of humor a yeah. similar kind of intellect they're they're kind of made for each other i mean yeah. it's so obvious in in different ways they're also both like pretty invested in what happens to the people of the town like luke would never mm-hmm. admit that but you know we've seen him before when he like goes out to give all the freezing cosplayers yeah. like hot drinks he's he has a very kind of caregiving like outlook to the town and he does want people to do well and they're both very invested in this date going well for Jackson and Suki and that's kind of yes, like their yeah. jumping off point for this conversation is them kind mm-hmm. of you know enjoying that this date is going well for for these two and yeah it's honestly like it, it, like I knew it was coming but it kind of broke my heart when Mrs. Kim came in and just like totally cut him off yeah. he was right there he was gonna ask her yeah. out but we and knew it, it was coming I mean yeah. it was we've known through this entire episode that at some point Mrs. Kim is gonna find out about mm-hmm. this date and hold Lorelai accountable and she mm-hmm. does uh, and yeah and that's that's the next thing that happens Mrs. Kim crashes in the jig is up uh, and they have to go and find Lane and Rory and they do and Mrs. Kim drags Lane off and then Lorelai has to have a somewhat tough conversation with Rory where she tells her that, you know, she's not pleased about having been lied to. And Rory makes the argument of, I knew that Mrs. Kim would not be on board with it, but I think that Lane should be allowed to go on dates, basically. And, you know, if we had told you, would you have kept the secret for us? And Lorelai says, no, I I can't lie to another mother like that because Mrs. Kim has a right to raise Lane the way she wants to. And it's a really important point here. It's not just that she's her daughter. But that is a that's a position of loyalty. Yeah. She does not want to get her mom in trouble with Mrs. Kim. So mm-hmm. she and, which is weird. It's a, it's a weird way of looking at it, but she does lie to her so her mother won't have to lie to Mrs. To Kim. Lie. And yeah. so the lie is on Rory. Yeah. It's all on her. She takes responsibility and and she's accountable for it. And she and she says, Yeah, I you know, this is this is my friend. I would do it for her again, you yeah. know, do it this is my friend. She wanted me to do this and I understand that your position is as a mother yeah. and, and Lorelai's position is Mrs. Kim gets to make these decisions for her sixteen year old daughter who is yeah. not eighteen yeah. and still is under her roof and within her rules. Yeah. And and the interesting thing is that Lane does usually really respect 
her mother's rule. I mean, she breaks the rules all the time, but she usually doesn't go so far as to break them in a way that Mrs. Kim would find out and be disappointed in her about. Mm -hmm. And this is one time that she makes an exception to that. And it's kind of, it's most sad because she's growing up and kind of wonderful because she's growing up and she, Mrs. Kim is not going to want to hear this. But at some point, Lane is going to be 18 and on her own. And Mrs. Kim will not be able to make the rules. So wouldn't it be better if she... Yeah. If she was given a little bit more freedom now while she's at home and you, she can afford to make mistakes yeah. instead of waiting until she's 18 and on her own. I mean, that's my philosophy. But Well, and I think, you know, I think you and I have a very different outlook on this whole thing than Mrs. Kim does. I think Mrs. Kim's position on it is that basically Lane shouldn't be dating at all until she's ready to get married. And then she should mm. just like find one suitable Korean doctor and marry yeah. him. And that's <laughs> the end. And, you know, my feeling and I think your feeling too is that a part of life is making mistakes and that's part of why you date you date to figure out who you want to be with and Lane learned an important lesson in in this episode she learned that liking a boy just because of what he looks like or whatever doesn't mean that he's the boy for you and that she needs someone who shares her interests and maybe that the way you you get to know somebody or maybe the way you approach dating is to get to know a person first Mm -hmm. and then then go out on a date don't just go out on a date because of like you said how they look and find out that this is not the right person for you which is what you did and yeah and you know like no harm no foul like no one was hurt during this date like it was not a good date but that's a part of life everyone has bad dates Dates, and hopefully you learn from those bad dates and especially when you're 16 this is the time to be figuring out what you want in life and she does figure it out pretty quickly i think i think the person who's hurt here is mrs kim yeah i think she is hurt that her daughter broke her rules yeah. and now she's thinking does she break them all the time well mm-hmm. she does break them all the time and, and mrs lang doesn't uh, mrs kim doesn't know it but she is hurt over this yeah. and the way she describes todd is not that he's not just the guy for her but he's quote not the guy for anybody who can read write (laughs) or talk or function on a basic human level yeah i I wrote that down gotta get it out the other thing i noticed about this is when and this is in the next scene but uh mrs kim's house is on a busy street and then i realized oh they live upstairs from the uh the the antique store the antique store okay yeah Yeah, and then rory climbs a tree to get to lane's bedroom the window i I thought was pretty cute because that's usually like a thing that like boys a boy does yes yeah so i thought that was pretty cute uh, and then Lorelai shows up to have a chat with Mrs. Kim, which seems like it doesn't go well, but it does actually have a result. Because M- Mrs. Kim uh, basically f- outright insults Lorelai and says that she doesn't want her child to end up anything like Lorelai. Um, and Lorelai's like very good in this scene. She doesn't take offense. And... No, no, she starts it. She says it first. Yeah, she's, yeah she starts She's... it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but... I, I I think that's what turns Mrs. Kim around is yeah. that when she says to her, I don't want my daughter, she says, you know, when I... I... 16 I was pregnant I don't want my daughter to turn out like me and I don't want Lane to turn out like uh, does she say that or does Mrs. Kim say I don't want my daughter to turn out like you yeah that's what she says says that yeah and as hurt as hurtful as that is because Lorelai is so much more than a teen mom Mm -hmm. but she respects it yeah. And in that moment, she realizes Mrs. Kim gets to make these rules, at least for two more years. And Mrs. Kim also realizes when 
Lorelai agrees with her. Mm-hmm. I don't want Lane to turn out like me either. I, you know, which she that whole it's 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 fragile, but they do establish just a little bit of connection there. Yeah, they agree that what they want is for their daughters to be safe, to not get pregnant at sixteen, yeah. to go to college, to have good lives. They they agree on I think on all of that in that moment. Yeah. Mrs. Kim recognizes that in Lorelai, and for just a couple of seconds, you can see just a little bit of recognition in her eyes that Lorelai is a mother who cares about her daughter too. Maybe she can trust Lane to go to Lorelai's house in the yeah. future because of course that's the big deal here. They don't want to break up the girl's friendship. Yeah, and that's and like Mrs. Kim starts at a place of Lane is never going to go over to your house again, but then in the next scene we find out that she has softened the restriction on Lane enough to allow her into the yard, which we all yes. consider to be a big win. Up to the win. sign. Yeah. Yeah, it's a big win and it happens in a couple of days. I think this is it's Sunday day uh when they go out on the date presumably she went to school the next yeah. day but but then had to come right home we don't know how much time has elapsed here because they don't care about time in this yeah. universe but at some point i would assume a couple of days she you know she's yeah. come out and she can go to the sign they yeah. have a sign in the front yard because it's their business yeah uh and then we do get one more luke and lorelei scene where you can see him trying to get back to that moment and thinking that maybe he's gonna now ask her out but he chickens out at the last second and goes for a much more platonic you know we should play poker again sometime yeah now before that happens uh we also find out that Lorelai got an a minus on that test oh yeah true yes. yeah the business test and yeah. um and Suki got a second and a third date so again we're playing with time here yeah I, I have no idea how much time has elapsed but if the dates yeah. were on Sunday and she's gotten a second and a third date it may actually be a week later yeah <laughs> and I guess we, we, know. we are supposed to think that like Lane has been grounded for some period of time so yeah maybe yeah. it's been a week it may be a week later yeah. yeah and we also learn and maybe we've seen this before Rory has a pager yes. so <laughs> yeah because <laughs> Lane pages her and Lane says hey her. I can talk to you yeah (laughs) so um but yeah the foreshadowing i think at this point is for the coming relationship with luke because they're sitting there and this is not the first time we have seen them be aware of each other as someone of the opposite sex it's like the third or fourth time and they've come close to talking about dating and haven't done it they haven't jumped that hill yet but they are there yeah this is kind of um maybe the first time that we've seen them in this situation while Lorelai is not dating someone else because yeah. Max has Get, broken up with her and um, she didn't date Rude a second time yeah <laughs> yeah she, I mean that was a technical date but not really technical like, date yeah a, yeah um but they are both hedging with each other in this yeah. scene too so that's that's a little bit anyway so then it ends and the music at the end is very good, and I couldn't couldn't gra- couldn't get the name of the song. Don't know what it was, but it was really good. I liked yeah. it. Yeah. So summary. Uh, wrapping things up. I mean, I definitely overall <laughs> did not like this episode that much. I just, I really don't like Lane's kind of anti-feminist rant about how dumb mm. all the other girls at the Beck concert were, and I did not find Rune funny. I could have done without all of that. Uh, this felt a little bit like a filler episode to me. 
Uh, not all of it. I mean, I think some of it was important. Like, it's it's good that we got Su- Suki and Jackson's relationship to move forward. And I, I guess though this counts as some character development for Lane, but it's a very small piece of character development for Lane, and I'm sure we're never going to see Todd again. I'm sure he's gone. I, I think we might actually see Rune again. I have a vague mm. I have a vague memory that he continues to show up occasionally. And we'll see if he's any funnier next time. Um but that all being said, I did enjoy the Luke and Lorelai stuff. Their rapport is great. It was a, a like lovely poignant tragic moment when he's about to ask her out and then Mrs. Kim crashes in and you just know that it's all over. I I don't think I hated this episode as much as you did because I thought there were redeeming moments in it throughout. I think when um when Rory admits that she lied so her mother wouldn't have to, yeah, says a lot about Rory as a character, uh, as a person, and 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 Lorelai realizes that in that moment and is kind of proud of her. Yeah. Um. So I think that's really important. I think Mrs. Kim having a real short realization there that Lorelai is not the devil uh, she still has a long way to go because at, she's gonna have to accept at some point that her daughter may not marry a Korean doctor so those two scenes I thought were really good I think Lane does some growing up in this in this episode because she realizes something yeah. that it's not about how the boy looks it may be nice but she's got to know something about the person before she decides she wants to date them that's a really yeah. big learning experience that we all learn at some point in yes. our lives and so that was yeah. so I, I didn't hated as much as you did because I, I thought there were learning moments in here for everybody and re- relationship growth for everybody as well I do think like it was important to give Lane an episode I just sort of wish that it was a better episode I mean I wish that it was a more interesting plot line for her I, like yes yeah, she yeah. learned she learned from it but this plot line was basically she went on a bad date with a boy and we'll never see him again <laughs> Yeah, so, that's true. But I mean, like like I said, there were some things that I liked. I liked the Luke and Lorelai rapport. I just, you know, I think part of it was that as the episode was beginning, I remembered Rune with the full force of my bodily memory. Oh. And I, I just felt such <laughs> revulsion. So like even before he showed up, the episode was overshadowed by like, oh no, I remember this guy. I hate this guy. <laughs> this was also not a grandparents episode. They weren't yeah. in it at all. It's not really a town development episode. Yeah. So I think it's a character development episode. Yeah. I mean, you got to see a lot of the characters really grow and get to know, understand each other a little yeah. bit better. So that, dear listeners, is all for today. I'm Tessa Dare. You can find me at my website, tessadare.com, where you can sign up for my email list. Uh, and that's T-E-S-S-A-D-A-I-R.com. Or you can follow me on Instagram at author.tess.adair or uh, on TikTok at author.tess.adair. And I'm Beth Von Baron. You can follow me on Instagram at stl underscore writer underscore Beth or sign up for my weekly Substack email, Saturday Morning Musings, at stlwriterbeth.substack.com. This has been Where You Lead, our fun and terribly witty podcast about the Gilmore Girls from the perspective of a mother and daughter. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed it, and we'll tune in for next our next episode in two weeks. See you then. Uh-huh.